0: Welcome back to Talking Health, a podcast where we explore some of the big health issues facing our communities. On this podcast, you'll hear from some of the world's leading health researchers, community organisations, and people with lived experience about the advancements we're making in health to transform the wellbeing of our communities at each stage of life. I'm Professor Deborah Anderson, the Dean of Health at the University of Technology, Sydney, and the Founder and Director of the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative. I've spent my career dedicated to supporting people to implement sustainable lifestyle changes to get the most out of life. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by our Associate Dean of Research at the Faculty of Health at the University of Technology, Sydney, Professor Angela Dawson. Angela is a public health social scientist with expertise in maternal and reproductive health service delivery to priority populations in Australia and low and lower middle income countries. Welcome, Angela. Thank you so much for being my guest on Talking Health today. Thanks, Debbie. Lovely to be here. Your journey to where you are today is very colourful and interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about how your talent for visual arts sparked your passion for a public health promotion in disadvantaged communities? And how has this passion shaped your career? Thanks, Debbie. I like uh, you. you call it colourful
1: and interesting. I might say the journey was indeed long and complicated. So I came from a family of nurses, um, midwives and doctors. So I suppose there was a bit of an expectation that I would follow that trajectory. And my first year at uni was in fact a pre-med course with a few visual arts electives. However, I enjoyed these subjects so much. I basically set off like a, a rebel without a clue on an arts career. But then after completing a master's in surrealist British female art as a wild topic at the Courtauld Institute, which is a very prestigious place to study in the University of London, I grew pretty disillusioned, I would say, with that kind of world. And I went to South Africa for um, a holiday. And actually, it was on this holiday that my interest in health promotion began and, and public health, in fact. So I found myself working in a a community arts project across a number of deprived townships in Cape Town and Kailicha and and, in Mitchell's Plain. So I found myself screen printing T-shirts, painting large murals and yeah, making posters that really contained messages about health, particularly nutrition, uh, the importance of registering the, the birth of your child and on child vaccination. So I sort of realised that there was much more to art than, you know, just the exhibition curation space. And I really thought that this was the place to be. So my passion for community health and community development began along with, I suppose, a desire to really address social justice and health inequities that I was seeing on an everyday basis, because of course, this was the very, very close to the end of of apartheid when I was in South Africa. And the disadvantage was was absolutely stark. And I really wanted to uh, make a difference in terms of addressing health inequity, particularly for marginalised people and for women that, of course, um, as a woman, I felt a great affinity. So I moved to Australia because I actually grew up in New Zealand. And I worked for a while on various Aboriginal health projects and diabetes and and heart disease health promotion projects in Western Sydney with um, Aboriginal Medical Services. And I taught for a bit at Sydney University in a Bachelor of Aboriginal Health and Community Development, which was a great privilege actually, because that was a program that's really produced a huge amount of Aboriginal health workers that I maintain a connection with today so it's, it's um, a really special time and also at that time I went to Sydney Uni and I did a graduate diploma in health education and sort of after a while I, I grew sort of longing to return to to Africa and I I secured a job at the Liverpool School of Tropical Medicine in the UK and later at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine as a capacity building advisor on a very large Gates-funded malaria program. It was a $50 million project. So it was quite an amazing experience. And so I was working across five African countries to support the national malaria programs. So those were Senegal, Gambia, Tanzania, and Malawi. And I traveled and I stayed for a while in some of these countries and so I got to know people and and cultures and I was really involved in some super exciting projects that I suppose were a link back to my creative sort of headspace such as the development and broadcast of a 26 episode soap opera which combined stories about struggles of ordinary people in the Gambia was uh, recorded in Mandinka but it also integrated messages about malaria control and prevention. In fact, this was so successful that it was also later broadcast in Mali and in Senegal. So other things I was involved in were microfinancing programs for women to tie-dye bed nets, because bed nets were white. And in West Africa, this was seen as, as a sign of death. And people didn't want to cover their beds with white sheets. So we set up these um, sort of initiatives for women to purchase bed nets and dye them and, and sell them as businesses, and also train them to educate others about how to use a bed net and the importance of tucking it in. Because uh, it's not just obviously just hanging it there, you need to tuck it in, make sure the mozzies don't come through. So, here I, th- this experience really helped me to combine my love for creative processes. With health promotion, and I gained some really critical skills in health management, project management and evaluation. And my real interest in women's health started at this time. So I was working with on projects with in malaria and pregnancy, for example, and learning about deeply embedded cultural practices that affected women's health, such as female genital mutilation. And so I realised that I really needed more qualifications and I began my PhD at the University of New South Wales, where I developed a project looking at the training of community health nurses in West Africa and how the the relationship between their training and the service that they delivered. So that was also linked in with some of the, the projects I was working in, but that Job ended, and my husband was really desperate to come back to Australia. So we returned to Sydney, and I started a research role at the University of New South Wales, and that was leading a program of work in human resources for health in maternal and reproductive health in the Asia-Pacific region. And that was an AusAid-funded um, project for, with $6 million projects. I've gone from $50 million to $6 million. And it focused on the development really, of policy options papers for assist governments, national governments, and also the Australian government to sort of inform their donor funding to build the workforces in Pacific, mostly Pacific nations. And of course, that was nurses and, and midwives. And I really, the work that I undertook in island nations was of particular importance to me. So Maldives, the Solomon Islands, Fiji and Samoa.
0: Wow, that's such an interesting and fascinating journey, Angela, and so important to remember how visual arts and messaging plays such a strong role in public health promotion. So what brought you to UTS and what are you working on now? Ah, so a postdoc
1: fellowship brought me here. I really wanted to bring all the strands of my interest Together and my the expertise and experience that I'd gained gained over the years, and I've got to say the social justice focus at UTS was really attractive because obviously all my work um, had been more well, largely my work had been low in low and low middle income countries in Africa and Asia and the Pacific, and of course I had worked previously with indigenous communities so. All of that work was all about addressing the needs of marginalised and disadvantaged people, mainly women. I was also really attracted by the fact that UTS is the World Health Organisation Collaborating Centre for Nursing, Midwifery and Health Development. And that's really key because that's obviously bringing together nursing and midwifery leaders in the Pacific to build capacity and to work to answer research questions um, that are important to those leaders. And finally, I really liked the fact that UTS was an institution that liked to do things differently, not like the uh, siloed sandstone monoliths. It, it didn't seem to be constrained by those traditional things. And you know being sort of young university as well, and quite a concentrated one in terms of where all the faculty sit. I thought that was really nice because you can get to know people and it certainly was easier to, to work with people. And for me as a public health social scientist, I like nothing better to work with people from a variety of, of disciplines. It's quite a, you know, quite natural to me. So my main area of work, as I've kind of been trying to say, I suppose, is in women's reproductive health, particularly the neglected areas of, of reproductive health with a focus on disadvantaged populations such as refugees, women with substance use disorders, women who've been incarcerated. And I'm also really interested in the provision of reproductive health in low, low middle income countries, sort of so sort of international health context. And in humanitarian crises. So I've got projects in three main areas. So this sort of to answer your question, what am I working on now? I would I would say those are in contraception, in female genital mutilation or FGM, and in refugee health. So I can tell you a little bit about about those, Debbie. In terms of the contraception area, I'm working with family planning, New South Wales to identify the needs of pharmacists who supply emergency contraception in, in Fiji. This is funded by a donor, a woman's plan organisation. And so emergency contraception is a really important method of preventing unintended pregnancies, particularly where there's been unprotected sex or if the contraceptions fail, such as a broken condom, or where a woman's been sexually assaulted. So despite it being around for many, many years and of one of the 13 essential commodities, reproductive health commodities, we don't know much about emergency contraception in the Pacific. So we undertook a survey of all pharmacists in um, Fiji. And we found that there were quite a few gaps in knowledge because while there's been standard emergency contraceptive methods such as copper IUD and the uh, levonorgestrel pill, there are new developments such as the ulipristal acetate and uh, many pharmacists weren't aware of that. And also they talked about, because there were some open questions, lots of challenges counselling at point of care. So at the moment, we're writing that up and we're co-designing a job aid, if you like, for pharmacists to use at the point of care to, to counsel women about the various methods and provide information about other methods of contraception that they might be interested in. So that working in uh, emergency contraception. Also relates to other work I'm doing with IPPF and International Planned Parenthood Federation, which is the largest NGO, non-governmental organisation in the world, focusing on reproductive health. And they deliver a really exciting program that is co-funded by the Australian government to prepare providers to deliver sexual reproductive health in humanitarian crises. And obviously in the Pacific, we experience many Natural disasters, cyclones, and tsunamis, and volcanoes, for example, but pre-positioning emergency contraception in these contexts is really important. And there's quite a few gaps in that area. So I'm working with IPPF on that. And I mentioned FGM. That is work around improving the care, particularly for pregnant women with FGM in Australia. And these are women who've migrated from countries where this is traditionally practiced. So FGM is a deeply embedded or entrenched cultural practice that's got lots of adverse health outcomes for women, particularly for pregnant women, obstructed labour, which can cause all sorts of issues, including death. So this is a problem for around 56,000 women in Australia, and it's a global problem. There are estimated to be about 200 million girls and women affected by FGM. So I've been working with New South Wales Health and Communities, in, mostly in Western Sydney, to co-design clinical practice guidelines and tools focused at midwives and, and GPs to help counsel women around antenatal de that some of them may require. So I've been really fortunate actually to receive NHMRC funding for that um, work. I got a, a TRIP fellowship a few years back. So that's the um, second area. The third area that I'll just touch briefly on, again, is funded by NHMRC Ideas Grant. And this is work that's examining the health of refugees over time and, and over generations. What we're focusing on is developing a roadmap to inform future health service and program planning and implementation. And that project's got three phases. It's very exciting because no one has looked at refugee health in this manner before. So we're really delivering brand new evidence in quite an innovative way. So I mentioned that the three phases. The first is a very large data linkage project. So this is drawing on ABS data and linking that to data in New South Wales, ACT and Victoria. And what we want to do is describe hospital-based healthcare, medication use, morbidity, mat- um, mortality outcomes. So tapping into cancer registries, um, ambulatory mental health care data, et cetera, et cetera, really to identify the future health needs of, of refugees and their children, because of course we're going to be able to look at the perinatal data sets and find the children and the children and their children of first-generation refugees, and look at those needs in relation to the rest of the population. The second, you know, that's very focused on health problems, I suppose, and health care use. But we'd like to also take a more um, strength-based approach and look at assets. What are the things that are keeping refugees healthy? What are the things that protect them and their families? So this is looking at individual protective factors, community and organisational factors that really contributes to those flourishing communities. And finally, we're coming together with communities and key stakeholders to co-create a roadmap for planning future refugee healthcare and services. We have strategies, but none of them are evidence-based. So this will be the first effort to, to create that. So looking forward to getting my teeth into that work.
0: Wow, that is amazing. What a, a great program of work for um in women's health that you're doing, Angela. And it's not surprising then that you have just been recently appointed as an advisor to the National Women's Health Advisory Council, which was established by the Australian government. Um, and that was this year. So congratulations on that because that will give you the opportunity to really influence women's health, not only in your research area, but as a whole across Australia. Well done. Thanks Jenny. You've also played a key role in the establishment of our new Health Research Institute, INSIGHT at UTS, which really draws on research strengths from not only within our faculty, but from multidisciplinary teams working together across the university. Can you tell us a little bit more about the key areas of research strengths within the faculty and how is INSIGHT connecting teams across the university to help solve some of the big health challenges facing our communities?
1: That's a great question. I think the first thing to note is that health issues are really complex and there are many interdependent factors, making them sometimes seem impossible to solve. So solving these complex, sometimes called wicked problems, requires that multi-inter and transdisciplinary work. So that that's research that involves many disciplines, crossing those boundaries. Um, and I love that. I said that as a, as a public health social scientist, That that's just so exciting to me because that's where we find the creative and innovative solutions come from. And so that's sort of across the HASS and STEM disciplines and all the faculties essentially at, at UTS. So that's business, science, engineering, IT, design, architecture, and building, Law, of course, not to forget health. So, working together to design these fit-for-purpose solutions that can be immediately translated, so put out into policy and practice at the bedside, in the community, and scaled up. So, learning lessons from small, maybe pilots, and then uh, or having multi-site studies to really make sure that the work is you know, more than the sum of all parts. So this requires, of course, the community and consumer engagement. And we're very strong at that at UTS and participation and buy-in from industry. We must co-design these things with our experts and with external groups and communities. So Insight focuses on these problems in established research strengths and leveraging that research expertise from across the university, as I've described, to create these solutions. So our strengths really are in the ageing and aged care area, palliative care. We have strong uh, research in women and children's health. And of course, I've mentioned the social justice element. We are absolutely committed to reducing health inequities amongst our First Nations peoples. And we're a university of technology. So, of course, digital solutions are absolutely at the core of what we do, not just diagnostics, but mHealth and eHealth solutions and making things link up to make healthcare more efficient and and high quality. And at the moment where, well, there is debate when this epoch started, but we're certainly in an age of the Anthropocene and addressing the health issues related climate change is absolutely fundamental when UTS is committed to sustainability, not just the circular economy and and the healthcare area, but also planning and and preparing our workforce and our communities for the adverse weather events, floods and, and also fires that we have been experiencing lately. So these are the sorts of areas that we're working in. And we're working across with the universities Pan University Institute and also with partners. And I suppose one of the a really good example of this in practice is the Aging Research Collaborative that's led by Deb Parker in Health, Professor Deb Parker in um, Faculty of Health and Professor David Brown in the Faculty of Business. So aging and Aged care is a mega challenge in Australia and making this sector economically, socially, and environmentally sustainable. So, as I mentioned, business and health, but also UART's working with, with people in law, design building architecture and IT, together with key industry leaders, because much of our, our aged care is privatized. So we must be working not only with the federal government who is responsible for aged care but also with private industry that is providing much of this care. So the work here is on focusing on designing high quality, safe, cost-effective aged care services. And the collaborative is looking at organisational strategy and performance, financial viability, regulatory frameworks, so there's the law people, consumer protection, safety and quality of healthcare, and with our IT experts, assisted living technologies, and with our design and architecture experts, um, improving the quality of the built environment that older people are involved in. So a a beautiful project that's bringing all these people together is a 3D model to map the journeys of older people in the aged care sector, and to, to see where the bottlenecks are and where the solutions lie, to make a better, more linked aged care system. So I think that's the beauty of Insight in practice as one example, Debbie.
0: Thanks so much, Angela. And really looking forward to seeing Insight in 12 months from here, um, and maybe having a chat to you about how we've been able to move forward. Angela, thanks so much for being our guest on Talking Health today and for sharing your stories with us. It is so great to have you as our Associate Dean Research and to bring your breadth of experience and also your personal experience in the social justice area. We are really fortunate to have such a great mix of insightful and interesting leaders here at UTS who bring such unique skills to our team. Thanks very much, Debbie. Wonderful to chat to you today. And so looking forward to seeing uh, the blossoming of insight. Today, I've been speaking with Professor Angela Dawson, the Associate Dean of Research at the Faculty of Health at UTS. And you've been listening to Talking Health by the University of Technology, Sydney. You can find us at uts.edu.au.